0: Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. I want to start out this morning by asking you a really, really important question. It's a very simple question, and it deserves an honest answer. The question is this, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? I'm going to pause just for a moment and let you think about that. This morning we're gonna be in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. I wanna encourage you to take notes. Yes, I'm preaching this morning, but it's more teaching, and you'll see that here in just a moment. So I encourage you to get a pen out, some paper, and take some notes this morning. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. And it says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Man, what a great question. Wouldn't it be awesome just to have people come to us on a daily basis? Hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I know you're a Christ follower. Tell me the gospel. But Jesus answered him in this way. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible But with God, all things are possible. Amen? This is my third time to preach here at LifePoint, and it's an honor and a privilege. I do not take it lightly. I've been friends with Pastor Lane for many, many years, and uh, I I appreciate the trust. He's been out of town, been in uh, Montana, I believe, and uh, so you're stuck with me. But great to be with you all here this morning. Um, I'm very familiar with a lot of, I see a lot of faces. I see a lot of people I know, but there's some, some that I don't. I, I am from Springfield, grew up here in Springfield, and uh, I grew up in a great home, but we didn't go to church all that often, and I didn't know much about the gospel, and that's what we're talking about today, if you haven't picked up on that, the gospel, the gospel of salvation. I didn't hear the gospel until I was 19 years old, or maybe I had maybe heard it before 19, but not with my heart, but um, I'm so grateful to someone that was willing to step out of their comfort zone, if you will. Someone that was bold, and they shared the good news with me. October 16, 1986, about 8.30 p.m. at night, I stepped from being dead spiritually to being alive. And that began to change everything, to say the least. A few years later, as I was growing in my faith. Uh, I knew that God, or I sensed God was calling me into full-time vocational ministry. And I stepped away from, uh, I raced motorcycles and, and I quit racing motorcycles and realized there was um, something greater uh, than bringing glory to myself. To, <laughs> and it was bringing glory to him. And so he called me to full-time ministry and uh, vocational ministry, I should say, and um, I knew he was preparing me, equipping me to go into evangelism. So for the last 24 years, we've traveled the nation, literally traveled the world, and sharing the gospel, and we use action sports, since that was my background, racing motorcycles, and we use action sports, and we, we presented the gospel to literally thousands of people over the years. I think back when I first was called, and I wasn't really educated in this area, and um, you know, it's been a long process of really being equipped in sharing the gospel. And I remember those early years, and to be honest with you, I I don't think I did a very good job in sharing the complete, the whole gospel. And I've seen a lot of evangelists, you know, I studied and looked at different evangelists, and I would see people that would preach some of the gospel, but not the whole gospel. And they would have people pray a prayer and walk an aisle, and walk that aisle and pray a prayer, and maybe I don't want to judge, I mean, I, I shouldn't judge, I can't judge, but sometimes it just felt like they were looking for numbers. And I know as an evangelist that would be easy to fall into that trap, you know, seeing people come forward. But we're looking for true transformation when we share the gospel. And so, I have dedicated myself to learning, this is probably not the correct term, but learning the craft of sharing the gospel, the entirety, the whole of the gospel of salvation. I've even seen with some churches and some pastors, uh, they, they might not even preach the gospel when they're sharing A message, or maybe it's watered down. And that's one thing I really appreciate about Pastor Lane. He doesn't water it down, he preaches the gospel. This is a gospel preaching and believing church, and I am grateful for that. But you know, it's not just the responsibility of an evangelist, not just the responsibility of those that are on staff, those that lead, those that are pastors on staff at a church to share the gospel, required to share the gospel. We, every single person has come to know Christ. We have been commissioned. We have been commanded to share the good news. Did you know that less than 10% of people in our churches today share their faith on a regular basis? Less than 10%. Why is that? Is it just because... We're afraid that we're not gonna have the right answers when people ask us certain questions. There's many reasons why we don't share the gospel on a regular basis. But I can tell you again with confidence, as it says in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus said, you, we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we will be his witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We have the great commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We've been commanded to share the gospel. And not only have we been commissioned and commanded to share the gospel, we have the privilege and the honor to share the gospel. Why wouldn't we share? When we share the gospel, it is of the utmost importance importance to share the whole gospel of salvation. I ask you again, what is the gospel? The word gospel literally means good news. In the Greek, the word is euangelion, from which we get our English words evangelist, evangel, evangelical. Broadly speaking, the gospel is the whole scripture. More narrowly, the gospel is the good news concerning Christ and the way of salvation. Here's another question for you this morning. How is a person saved? How does someone come to know Christ as their personal savior? More specifically, how is someone born again? This should be an easy question but sometimes in our best attempts, we do not give a simple, concise, and complete presentation of the gospel. Salvation, and you know this, but salvation is too important of a decision in someone's life to not share the whole gospel. Sharing the gospel is one of the most important things that we will ever do, but equally important Sharing the complete gospel to someone that is in desperate need of hope. That's of the utmost importance, sharing the whole gospel. We are talking about a matter of life and death. Now, don't panic. Let's remember, it's not our responsibility to save anyone. We can't save anyone. That is a supernatural work of God, and of course, he is the only one that can save, right? He's the only one that can save. Our responsibility is to know the gospel and be available and ready to share the gospel when the Holy Spirit leads. So, we're gonna talk about the principles, distinctives, probably a better way to put that is the principles of the gospel of salvation, the whole gospel. To see a biblical picture of the gospel of salvation, we must go to the source, the word. We need to go to Jesus because John 1 1 says, in the beginning was what? The word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the gospel, Amen. In the story of the rich young ruler, we see a story of a man in search of life, in search of eternal life. We don't know much about this man. We know that he was young, rich, and a man of importance. In this story, the encounter with Jesus, we see Jesus lay out these principles that I've mentioned, the principles of salvation. So, without further ado, let's jump in. The first principle that we see in this story that Jesus puts forward, the first principle we see is the character of God. The character of God. Let me reread verses 17 and 18. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up, to, up and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone now let's understand Jesus was not denying that he wasn't good (laughs) we know he is Jesus was establishing that no one is good except God alone he was trying to get the man to kind of take a step back and think about what he was asking When sharing the gospel, the first principle we must drive home when sharing the good news is that God is what? His character. His character, God is holy and he is perfect. And in light of his perfection and holiness, we then see our brokenness and how imperfect that we really are. If we do not have God as the standard of holiness... Then, what is the standard? It is that the truth, the gospel, is all relative, relative to our interpretation, if He's not the standard. It is that we think that we are good people in relation to bad people. If that is the case, how would we know good people from bad people? We only know that we are not good enough in light of God's standard his perfection, his holiness, his goodness. Again, Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. That is the first principle that Jesus puts forward in this story to this man that was in desperate need of hope was his character, his holiness, his goodness. Now we move through the story, back to the text. We see the second principle which is the law of God. The first was the character of God. The second principle we see is the law of God. In verse 19, he said, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. The 10 commandments are separated into two groups. One group of commandments has to do with man's relationship to God. The other group has to do with man's relationship with man or other people. The commandments dealing with the man to man is obtainable to a certain extent. But the ones dealing with man to God are extremely difficult, to say the least, extremely difficult without a true relationship with the Lord not having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, if you will. Here's the main point, do not miss it. We, you and I, we have all broken God's law. We have disobeyed his commandments and that makes us what? It makes us sinners, separated from the Lord. As it says in Romans chapter three, verse 23, all, for all have sinned and fall short of what? What do we fall short of? God. The glory of God. Because we are sinners, we fall short of his glory. And the result is a broken relationship with him. No one automatically has a relationship with the Lord just because we've grown up in church. And I've heard that a lot when I'm sharing with someone. Like, do you know the Lord? What's your story? Oh, man, I've been a Christian all my life. I I was born going to church. I'm a Christian. No, no. People have different definitions of what it means to really be right with God. But again, the reality is we've all earned the right to die and we all deserve death. Again, as it says in Romans 6.23, the very first part of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Is death. That's what we deserve. Every person that's ever lived, every person living now, every person that lives into the future, we all fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of His perfection and His holiness. That is the second principle in the whole gospel. The first is the character, the second is God's law, the law of God. And then the third principle we see in this story that Jesus is putting forward the third principle is repentance toward God repentance toward God the character of God the law of God and the third is repentance toward God back to the passage the first part of verse 21 Jesus looked at him and loved him and then he said this one thing you lack go sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven In the book of Mark, Mark is the only gospel writer who records that Jesus looked at him. This was his response. He looked at him and loved him. It gives us a sharp image of God who loves unconditionally, who loves us compassionately. This is the God who asks us, you and I, to follow him. Some interpreters have taken this verse to mean that poverty is more blessed than riches. But Jesus did not intend this meaning here. He was declaring that nothing must come between a person and devotion to him, to God. Nothing should come in the way. Some people may have to give up money. Others may have to abandon a cherished dream. Still others may have to surrender to family members. Some family, per se, if you will. I've been in third world countries. I've been in a country where it was, it was closed to the gospel and I'm sitting with a family and they, they were Muslim, but the husband had come to know Christ. He was now a Christ follower. And I looked to the, to the wife and I said, I said, when did you accept Christ? And this is through the interpreter. She says, oh, I haven't. I haven't accepted Christ. Do you, do you know the gospel? Do you know the whole gospel? Yes, I, I know the gospel. And she she explain it like she laid it out and I'm like yeah she knows the gospel so then I asked the question why why haven't you accepted and she said well when my husband goes to jail when he goes to jail someone needs to be here for the kids she counted the cost there are certain things it's going to cost us when we come to know Christ but none of it will feel like a sacrifice when we accept Jesus Christ into our life, but some have to surrender family. But one thing is certain, Jesus' love comes before the command. Whatever he commands us to do is because of his love for us. So, what does repentance really look like? Here it is. It's an intentional turning, a changing of direction, it is a change of the heart and the surrendering of one's life. As it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when Peter was, Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, he said, repent and believe. Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The second part of Romans six twenty-three says, but the gift of God is eternal life, and it's found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Many understand the term repentance to mean a turning from sin. Regretting sin and turning from it are related to repentance, but are not the precise meaning of the word. In the Bible, the word repent means to change one's mind. The Bible also tells us that true repentance will change in a, it, it will result, I should say, a result in the change of actions as it's found in Luke chapter three. If you're taking notes, Luke chapter three, verses eight through 14. You also find it in Acts chapter three, verse 19. In summarizing his ministry, Paul declares, I preached that they should repent, and turn to God, and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Acts chapter 26, verse 20. The short biblical definition of repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. So, the first principle we see is the character of God. The second principle we see is the law of God. The third, as we just finished, was repentance toward God. And the fourth that we see that Jesus talks about in this passage to the rich young ruler, the fourth principle is faith in the Son of God. Faith in the Son of God. Again, verse 21, he said, Then go sell all your riches, Get rid of the stumbling block. What's in the way of you making me not just savior, but Lord of your life? And then come and follow me. Jesus' commands to the man to follow me, follow him, came at a time when he was headed for Jerusalem and certain death at the hands of the religious leaders. This echoes Jesus' command to every disciple to you and me, for all of us, every disciple, for us to take up our crosses daily and follow Him, to die to flesh, to die to my will, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. This is Luke chapter 9, verse 23. A biblical definition of faith reaches beyond mere belief, the simple acknowledgement that God exists into the realm of trust. Genuine faith involves abandoning all human reliance on self-efforts and placing total dependence upon God's character, his actions, his promises as revealed in his word. Faith is just not saying you believe, not just saying a prayer, of salvation, even though I believe there is a time for that. I I prayed a prayer of repentance, the sinner's prayer, if you will. But again, it wasn't lip service. Like I meant it with my heart and I repented. I was putting my faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. But faith is not just saying you believe, not just saying a prayer, but totally trusting in Christ for salvation very familiar passage to all of us is james chapter 2 verse 19 it says even the demons believe and shudder so faith goes beyond just believing to totally just believing to totally trusting christ and christ alone for salvation ephesians chapter 2 8 and 9 and 10 says this For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then Romans 10, 9, 10 through 13 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says what? You'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth, yes, it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Verse 13, every person, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A biblical concept of faith includes believing that God exists and that he is totally trustworthy so much so that we base our lives on him and his word, doing what it says, no matter what the physical eyes tell us. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we obtain what? The victory that has overcome the world, as it says in 1 John 5, 4, and 5. That's the fourth principle, faith. The fifth principle that we see in this passage that Jesus puts forward is reliance on the Spirit of God. Reliance, reliance on the Spirit of God. I'll reread verses 22 through 27. At this, the man's face fell. This is after he's been told to go sell everything. Come follow me. He made a choice. Verse 22, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. The Holy Spirit regenerates and renews the believer as it says in Titus 3:5, Titus 3:5. At the moment of salvation, the Spirit baptizes the believer into the body of Christ as it says in Romans chapter 6 verse 3. Believers receive the new birth by power, the power of the Holy Spirit And that's found in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. The Holy Spirit also does work among unbelievers. Jesus promises that he would send the Holy Spirit. He promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. As it says in John chapter 16, verse 8. The Spirit testifies of Christ. John 15, 26. The Spirit testifies of Christ, John 15, 26, pointing people to himself. John chapter 6, verse 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So what is the bottom line here? The bottom line is that no one can be saved unless the Holy Spirit is drawing that person to himself, and we know salvation, we know salvation, I've said it probably a couple times, I'll say it again, we know that salvation is a supernatural work of the Lord, of the Holy Spirit. I think about John chapter three where Nicodemus came to Jesus, right, and he was kind of like the rich young ruler. Uh, In the sense that he asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, long story short, without going through the whole passage, Jesus says what? He says, you must be born of water and of spirit. We're born physically. I was 19 years old physically. But for 19 years, I was dead, spiritually speaking. I was blinded spiritually. And then when I heard the gospel... Yes, up here, but more importantly here, when I heard the gospel in that moment, when I cried out to God and I learned the character of God and I I understood of who I was in light of him that I was in desperate need of a savior, I put my faith and trust in Christ. Crying out to God, I repented. And in that moment, I was born again. Have you been born again? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? We must rely on the Spirit. I, can't, I said it before, I'll say it again. We can't save anyone. That's a work of God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. He must be drawing the person for them to be saved. And then the sixth and the last principle we see, or we need to know, is the resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God. This principle is not found in this story because Jesus, at this point, Jesus has not died, he's not been buried, and he's not been resurrected from the grave. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is of the utmost importance because it validates who Jesus claimed to be, namely the Son of God and the Messiah. According to Jesus, his resurrection was the sign from heaven that authenticated his ministry as it's found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. The resurrection of Jesus Christ attest, attested to by hundreds of eyewitnesses proves irrefutably that Jesus Christ is, yes, the Messiah, yes, the Son of God, and the Savior of the world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is important as a testimony to the resurrection of human beings, which is basic, the basic tenet of the Christian faith. Unlike other religions, Christianity has the founder who transcends death and promises that his followers, followers will do the same. Every other religion was founded by men or prophets whose end was what? It was the grave. As Christians, we know that God became man, died for our sins, was resurrected on the third day. The grave could not hold him. He lives, he sits today at the right hand of the Father in heaven, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. The resurrection is the triumph and glorious victory for every believer Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose on the third day according to the scriptures as it's found in 1 Corinthians 15, three through four. And he is coming again, amen? The dead in Christ will be raised up and those who are alive at his coming will be changed and receive new glorious bodies as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ important? It proves who Jesus is. It demonstrates that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. It shows that God has the power to raise us from the dead. It guarantees that the bodies of those who believe in Christ will not remain dead, but will be resurrected unto eternal life. Amen. In conclusion... We must share the gospel. We are commanded to share the gospel. It is a privilege to share the gospel. But in sharing the gospel of salvation, we need to share the whole gospel. We cannot leave any of these principles of salvation out. As we close, let me ask you one more question. When it comes to sharing the whole gospel of salvation, where does it begin? We've talked about the principles. We've talked about the distinctives of what the whole gospel of salvation is, but where does it start? I think about in that story, when that man rejected Jesus, he had this great wealth. It was the stumbling block of him coming to Christ. And when he went away, what did it say? It said Jesus loved him. Do we see people the way Jesus sees people? The first thing that, where it starts, it starts with us being broken, brokenhearted for the lost, those who have not come to know Christ. When you meet someone for the first time, what is it that you think of? Do you think of the way their hairstyle is or the clothes that they wear or the job that they have or Maybe you're wondering about their family. All those things are important. Getting to know someone, asking questions, personal questions about their family and what they do for, all that's important in building a bridge, building a relationship. But my point is this, when we meet someone for the first time, this is kind of an indicator if we are brokenhearted for the loss. The first thing that should come to our mind is, I wonder if they know Jesus, I wonder if they have eternal life. I wonder if they've experienced the hope that I have in Christ. Is that the first thing that comes to your mind? It should. And God, if that's not, if we're not brokenhearted, if we've not shed a tear in a while for the lost, we've not prayed for the lost, pray that God will break your heart. Come to God, get on your face before him today and say, God, break my heart. Let me see people the way you see people. We also need to be very intentional intentional when it comes to engaging the lost. Think about connection points. God has brought certain people in your life for a reason and for a purpose. We all have family members, I'm sure we all have family members that don't know Christ. Have you shared the gospel with them? How about your neighbors? How about your coworkers? How about the people that you come in contact with through hobbies and different different avenues? Those people are brought into your life for a reason and for a purpose. And many times the reason is that they need to hear the good news. God can do this any way that he wants to do it. He doesn't need you and me when it comes to sharing the gospel, getting the gospel out to people, Because he's a big God. He can do anything that he wants to do, when he wants to do it and how he wants to do it. But God, the cool thing is, God chooses to use you and me. He chooses to. That's his main means of getting the gospel out is through you and me. But the question is, are you making yourself available? And I know many times we think, I don't know if I'm equipped enough. I don't know if I have the right, um, all the knowledge and I'll have all the right answers. You know what God's looking for? God's not looking for your abilities. God's looking for your availability. And when you give God your availability, he will give you the abilities to do whatever he's calling you to do. We have the Holy Spirit within us. So we need to engage the lost. We need to evangelize the lost. We need to pray for the lost. We need to pray for those divine appointments and then look for those opportunities to share the good news and the gospel. And we must have an urgency But the process of trust to pre-Christians, it's slow. And it begins with intentionality to build that trust within the relationship. So yes, the process, it can take days, months, years. Just like my example of one of my best friends I told you about. Seven years. The Lord finally brought him to himself. And I am so grateful. So, here's the invitation here's the challenge three things I want to ask you I ask a lot of questions don't I huh? <laughs> I'm going to ask you three more hey seriously though where did this message meet you today what did the spirit of God say to you personally and then the third question is what are you going to do about it let's pray